We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Pilato. This is an emergency pod. Breaking news out of nowhere, seemingly, at least to people like Nick and I. I mean, look, I don't know. I don't know who predicted this would happen. But the Giants made a blockbuster trade. And I remember early in the Dave Gettleman era, the Giants were a trading team. They traded for Alec Ogletree. There was a couple other moves like that base blockbuster type deal but this is a real blockbuster because they got a former pro bowler they got a player who can immediately help this team win more games in 2023 and that is tight end darren waller out of nowhere it seems like the giants made a trade for waller i'll give the details real quick and i'm gonna ask you how you're feeling nick but the details are the giants traded their compensatory draft pick the hundredth overall pick that they got from the chiefs for tony the same pick that i said I was not thrilled about when the Giants got it for Tony because I felt like it was overstated. It wasn't a true third round pick. It's the back end, hundredth overall, not much. But when you, if you at the time, Nick, you had told me that that trade was Kadarius Tony for Darren Waller and a six round pick, I would have been like excited, exploratory. I want to see what I need, what I want to learn about Darren Waller. How can he fit this offense? So everything changes for me. I'm a big draft capital guy, Nick. But at the same time, I would prefer a proven player over the 100th overall pick. To me, that's not really draft capital. That's when you get into the dart-throwing range, when you get outside the top 50, top 60 overall. So I am ecstatic about this trade. And this doesn't even dive into all the details why. We'll get into that as well later. But I want to know how you're feeling about this trade, Nick. Love it. I like the trade. Look, it's for win now. It's not a trade for the future. It's a trade to compete in 2023. And when the trade initially happened, I was excited because it hit me right off guard. I was not really, this was not on my radar, Dan. But I thought, I was like, what, are, what is the contract? Like, how much guaranteed money are the Giants tied up in in the future now, investing in a 30 year old tight end who has had injury issues the last two seasons, really serious injury issues last year? I think he only played in like nine games. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, according to Dan Duggan, it's only what 11 million this year that is guaranteed. So this is a contract that theoretically the giants can get out of if this all implodes. So you're just talking about Kadarius, Tony, a first round pick that sucks, right? That you shipped out of town, but you're able to get a top three tight end potentially, right? This guy, when he is dialed in and he is healthy, there are a few tight ends that can move in this manner. There are a few mismatched nightmares like Darren Waller. And I think he can, foundationally, and he will if he stays healthy, foundationally change what Mike Kafka and Brian Dable can do on offense. And 
dude, Brian Dable was a tight ends coach. He knows how to work with tight ends. Mike Kafka worked with Travis Kelsey. He understands how to employ that skill set. And you need to find a freaking offensive, explosive weapon for your newly signed quarterback in Daniel Jones. This is a bad wide receiver market. Don't invest 12, 13, 14 million to the Jacoby Myers. Go out, trade, and get a guy like Darren Waller. And now you can roll out a 12 personnel package, Dan. Good luck defending that because you can run out of that 12 personnel package, but that play action passing attack is very explosive now. Yeah, man, I love it. I'm so excited. You mentioned something about the contract, so I want to start there. The Giants, it's a very interesting contract because, yes, what you said is true. The Giants have like an 11 million, I believe he's 11 million against the cap this year, which by the way is insanely cheap for a top playmaker, right? Like we just saw Jacoby Myers sign for about that money. And if you look across the NFL, I put this in the, in our, in our uh, note stock. So I wanted to talk about this and I guess I'll get to this now. There are 25 wide receivers in the NFL who have a bigger cap hit this year than Darren Waller, 25. That's a lot of receivers. There are not 25 better playmakers on offense at the wide receiver position, I'm going to call outside at the receiving position that for me groups in tight ends and wide receivers because Darren Waller is a tight end by trade, but let's look at the alignment. He lined up 30% of his snaps in his career in the slot, 47% in line and 23% out wide. So more than 50% of his slap snaps have not been in line as a tight end. So he's essentially an offensive receiving weapon and there are 25 receivers who will be making more. Some of those guys, Kenny Galladay, Michael Gallup, Curtis Samuel, Tim Patrick, Corey Davis, Allen Robinson, Hunter Renfro, Gage, Russell Gage, Marcus Valdez-Scanling, who I think is one of the worst, most overrated crap receivers in the NFL. The pathetic, the pathetic year he turned in with Brad Patrick Mahomes last year. I mean, we're talking about guys who will never impact the Giants offense if they traded for them right now. You're paying Darren Waller around that same price tag, and yet you're going to likely get a lot more production because of what you mentioned. This is a coaching staff that knows how to maximize tight ends. Brian Dable worked for the developmental years as the Patriots tight end coach with Rob Gronkowski, his key developmental years, 2012 through 2016, with Martellus Bennett when he came over. Obviously, to me, which is even more impressive than that, was the development he had with Dawson Knox in Buffalo. When Look, we know Dawson Knox now is a guy who arrived in the NFL and made it, but he was a fourth-round pick, if I remember, right, Nick? We liked him at all. Yeah, he was a fourth round pick, and he also played on an offense that had these two wide receivers known as DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. So he was not utilized that much in college. So his skill set had to be actualized by Brian Dable. That's the point, right? We knew he had the athleticism and the chance to become something, but what you said is the key there. It had to be developed, had to be actualized, and Brian Dable did that. And obviously, you talked about Kafka, his work in Kansas City with with Travis Kelsey. It's not just Kelsey. Like if you look at that offense, the Chiefs are generating so much out of those tight ends. Even like the the I don't want to call them the loser guys, but like the back end, they haven't really had any other good tight end prospects come in there, and yet they're getting production at the Jody Fortsons of the world. I think Fortson is technically a receiver, but he's like a tight end receiver thing. That like you know what I mean? Like they're they're, they're finding offense and we even saw it last year we don't need to look too much further than the 2022 game film from the giants what do we always talk about nick you made mention of this about week 12 of last season i think maybe it was like week 13 i don't remember when you mentioned this in one of the game film reviews but you're like isn't it crazy how many of our passing plays in the red zone are designed as with daniel bellinger as the focal point and that was a rookie fourth round pick yeah i think i said that in like week three 
Okay, you might have said it even earlier. I don't know why this was a long season, so I don't remember exactly when things. And I know you're right. It was right away. We saw that right. That's the other cool part. They were utilizing tight ends in the red zone as focal points of the red zone pass game right away. Now you have Darren Waller as your focal point of the passing game, a guy who has racked up countless touchdowns throughout his career. I'm trying to scroll down now to find these stats. I mean, his touchdown numbers are absolutely insane. Just over the the 2019 and 2020 seasons, where he had his best best uh production obviously 2021 he was held back by injuries was an ankle sprain and a knee strain then last year uh as well he had no that was last year the two years ago he had he had other injuries but over those two seasons 2019 and 2020 2345 receiving yards in two 16 game seasons 197 receptions almost 100 receptions a year and 12 touchdowns it's the red zone offense that really stands out for me with Waller he's going to be the focal point of the new red zone pass game and he's going to uh, he's going to in my mind be a much more effective red zone tight end than anything the Giants had last year no offense to Bellinger at all it's all going to come down to health for Darren Waller if he stays healthy this is an absolute grand slam of a move by Joe Shane and I think it's also important Dan that we discuss Darren Waller's past and where he came from and how much he has overcome earlier in his career. This is a player who was a wide receiver, ended up going to Georgia Tech. I believe he was from the Atlanta area. Now, when he was at Georgia Tech, Paul Johnson was their head coach, and Paul Johnson was known for the flex bone spread option type of passing attack. So we're looking at stats for Darren Waller, where he played 14 games, nine games, 10 games in his three years at college. Eight catches, 17 catches, 26 catches. That's not necessarily how Paul Johnson's offense was run at Georgia Tech. So you're talking about a player whose skill set wasn't really honed in on in terms of being a receiver. Then he transitions to tight end. He ends up going to Baltimore and he struggles with addiction issues. Ends up going to rehab. And once he's out of rehab, he gets placed on Baltimore's practice squad. And that's when the Oakland Raiders at the time came in and plucked him. And then that season was 2019, I believe. And Darren Waller just right. blew up after that year. So this is a player who has overcome a lot. This is a player earlier in his career who did not do all that much because he was struggling with addiction. And then in 2019, so 2018, he was with Vegas, actually. So 2018 is when he got plucked off. Didn't really do much. But 2019, I remember hearing about Darren Waller during the summer from like a fantasy football standpoint. It was like, if you want fantasy tight ends who are going to be sleepers that you can get in the double-digit rounds, Rookie Mark Andrews out of Oklahoma and Darren Waller. I took both of them on my fantasy league, and they both had huge seasons. And in 2019, 115 targets, 90 catches, 1,146 yards, and only three touchdowns. This ends up having nine touchdowns in the next year. And that's when we just saw his traits flourish once he was dialed in. He was right. He was correct. But this isn't somebody who has a ton of wear and tear on his body. This is somebody who I know he had those hamstring issues last year, didn't play too much football in terms of taking brutal hits from 2015 through 2018. And he missed an entire year because he was in rehab. So it really speaks to the character of the kid that he was able to get himself right and get himself back dialed into football and then become one of the best top three tight ends in the game. So he still could have a lot of meat left on the bone, despite the fact that he's a three starting next to his age. And I like that point a lot. That fact that he didn't play earlier in his career could help him stay healthier later in his career from a longevity standpoint. Obviously, it's tough to know. The Raiders could have yeah. some insight into his body breaking down, which is possible. I hope that's not the case, but you don't know. The Giants even don't know that themselves. They had their, they're going to have their medical team look at him. He has to pass a physical for this trade to go through. But at the same time, he might most likely will pass that physical and that, and that, you know, and the Giants will take that gamble. But at the same time, as you mentioned, Nick, if you look at the contract, 
it's not much of a gamble at all, right? Like, like just like you said, they, they're paying the cap it for this year, and then they can get out of it with zero dead money next offseason. But what I really like about this contract is not even that, man. I like that, sure, they can get out of it next year if things go wrong and he gets injured again, unless they consider those injuries to be unlucky, because it's almost even better if they don't, because they have him under team control for like 12 million a year against the cap for three years after this season. So it's like almost... To me, that's the other part of this contract. Everyone's talking about, oh, yeah, yeah, there's no dead cap. It's great. It's a one-year gamble. But no, to me, it's like if this gamble pays off, you now have him under control for so cheap. Now, maybe he'll do what he did last offseason and he'll get his agent to negotiate a new contract. It's hard to say. You never know with NFL players these days if it's like that good of a year. Like if, if he has a dominant year, I think that will happen, unfortunately, for the Giants. But if it's only like a pretty good year, maybe there's a couple injuries here and there, but he's, he's back for the playoffs and the games that matter. I don't know. They have him under control, cheap, under team control for years after this. So really, this contract is like a knock it out of the park one for me. This is a calculated risk with immense upside. I don't yep. know why you would say no to it. Because even if he does want to renegotiate, that means he had a 100-catch year. He had right. that type of season where he was the focal point of the offense. I just think now with this type of athletic presence in your offense it opens up so many other possibilities for what dable and kafka can do it can open up the rushing attack like i said the implementation of 12 personnel can expand and you can be much more explosive out of that package and i don't want to get it twisted this isn't a a blocking tight end like daniel bellinger is a better blocker than darren waller is darren waller is a former wide receiver but this guy is going to try you can put him in line but you can also align him on the backside of three by one sets he is a true mismatch weapon that you can use all across your formation in a variety of different ways. And we know how Kafka and Dable implement motion and things of that nature, yeah. stacks and bunches to give him clean releases. This guy can stretch the seam like few tight ends can. Yeah, and that's the exciting part about it too, right, Nick? Because if you look at it just from a schematic standpoint, you have a guy who's six foot six, which is 98th percentile. That was among receivers where he tested. 238 pounds, so 6'6", 240. Insane arm length and wingspan. His wingspan, I believe, was trying to find it now. Arm length was 84th percentile. The wingspan, I believe, was 90th percentile. 44640 yard dash at 66240 with that kind of wingspan. Okay. A vertical jump of 37 inches, a broad jump 125. Those are 70 and 75th percentiles. Not a bad uh 20 yard shuttle, nothing great there. But we're talking about an athlete who has, like you said, length, speed to stretch the seam and to get vertical. And why that interests me so much, Nick, I was thinking about this after the signing. I was thinking about 2020 Giants offensive tape, the first year of Jason Garrett. Do you remember the like one area they found any success with? And even just dating back to 2019 with Daniel Jones and, and that pass offense. The area was up the seam with Caden Smith for that stretch of games when Ingram got hurt in 2019, right? They found a way to find that connection. That's Caden Smith, who, no offense, is no longer in the NFL, I, at least I believe, right? I don't think he's don't with think any so. teams. This is not a great talent. We we liked him at the time, but it's clearly not that great of a talent. Golden Tate, up the seam. He found success on those one-on-one -on -one vert routes. Again, a player who's not in the NFL anymore. And then in 20, that was more 2019. Then in 2020, do you remember those vertical routes they ran Evan Ingram on, where it's kind of like a little detached line of scrimmage? I remember the Bengals win was the one that really stood out, where they hit him on like two of those balls. Oh, yeah. Jones has the touch. Jones has pretty solid ball placement in addition to the touch to utilize these types of tight ends on vertical routes, either up the seam or along the sideline. So I think this could really unlock a different level of Daniel Jones passing game. I really think it can too. And I think it just really opens up so many different options for this offense, like we said. And I'm trying to pull up some of these videos right here for the YouTube audience. 
because uh, I cut up a bunch of his tape before this podcast. Here's one nice. play. I don't have them combined together, but I can do it individually, which is a little annoying, but you could just see the natural receiving skills. Here's a 13 personnel. Watch him just find the soft spot and look how he adjusts to that football, Dan. That is unique adjustment and body control in the air. He is able to just flip his hips, turn his body high point well away from his frame, and then just bring it into his chest. Like These plays like that, they're all throughout his film. Like that's not an anomaly. And he was making those plays in 2022. I get it. He had a down ear. He was injured. He had hamstring issues, all that kind of stuff. We'll get into that in a little bit, but he is still making explosive plays down the football field and don't want to say it again, but holy crap, Dan, the giants need to find a way to attack defenses vertically. And this yes. tight end right here, he might be the best vertical threat as a tight end in terms of if he is fully healthy, what tight end is a better vertical threat? Kyle Pitts, if, if they could find figure out a quarterback there. But yes, <laughs> if they outside of Pitts, I agree with you. Yeah, because Kelsey and Kittle, they're different types of tight end. Now, they can yeah. obviously win their vertical, but Darren Waller has wide receiver type of athletic ability that you can align in line and have him release against a linebacker, against a safety. You best believe defensive coordinators are going to be dialed in to whatever number he decides to wear once he dawns blue. And I love, Nick, how you brought up the first clip that you brought up was a clip of Darren Waller showing off amazing body control and the ability to adjust to a little bit of an off-target throw in that clip. Because guess what? I've seen the comparisons between Waller and Evan Ingram. In his entire four-year career with the Giants, Evan Ingram never once had a play like that. He didn't. I'm thinking about it in my head. I'm bouncing it back and forth. I can't remember a single play where I saw him adjust to a football like that in the air with the body control and come down to it off target. Here's another one that you're putting up for the YouTube audience against the Steelers here where he adjusts to a ball way behind him. These are natural wide receiver skills. These are natural dominant wide receiver skills, really. And he's a tight end. You don't see tight ends adjust the football like that in the air and have that kind of body control. Evan Ingram didn't have have it and he was supposed to have it. He was the uber athletic tight end who was supposed to have it. This is such a good release by Darren Waller. It's against a Minka Fitzpatrick. This is one of the top safeties in the league. He releases inside and then he starts to kind of orient his route in a vertical manner up the seam. And then he leans in. You see how he's leaning that inside shoulder into Fitzpatrick That's to create separation because he's going to explode. And then he's going to give him that little sh shove to stop his momentum. That's Minka Fitzpatrick's that is. And watch how much separation he creates against Fitzpatrick. Like, like he's burning Fitzpatrick at yeah. this point. He finds that soft spot against his middle of the field closed defense. And then he's able to just twist his body, locate, concentrate right into his hands and then make the catch through contact again. Those are real receiving skills displayed by Darren Waller. Yeah, and since the 2019 season, Darren Waller is third in the NFL in yards per game among tight ends behind just Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. So the production is obviously a big part of it as well. According to Mike Garofolo, the Giants really like Daniel Bellinger a lot, but they can use two, and he believes they're going to, they're, they're looking at this like they can use a two tight end personnel package, 12 personnel, similar to how the Eagles used it when they had Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. He says the Giants were looking around, nosing around the free agent market, but they didn't want to spend to just spend. It's not a great wide receiver class in free agency, not a great wide receiver class in the draft, though there is depth. And this is part of why I love this move so much, Nick. You brought this up a little bit earlier, but this is such a savvy move by Joe Shane, right? We knew the Giants needed a weapon and he wanted to get them a weapon fast because he wants to actualize Daniel Jones's potential earlier than later. It doesn't like we, me and you were more like, let's be patient about wide receiver and weapons. Let's not just force one to force one because we need one for 2023. But at the same time, you don't want to waste a year of Jones's development this early in his career. He's 25 years old. He was able to sneakily get one for just the hundredth pick overall on a cheap contract 
that is also fully team controlled and doesn't have a lot of guarantees to it. It's like an insanely good move by a GM. It's insanely savvy. It's insanely creative. He took it right after the Raiders signed a wide receiver. He knew they didn't have the kind of cap space. This is the type of savvy move that we never saw at one any point during the Dave Gettleman era. I don't even remember a deal like this in the Jerry Reese era, if I'm going to be honest, the steel type trade. And maybe it doesn't work out, but even if it doesn't work out, what did you lose? The 100th pick overall, which basically amounts to nothing. You might hit on a Daniel Bellinger occasionally, but most of the time you're going to get guys who miss in that range or are like medium type players at best, like a Darnay Holmes type. So to me, this was just a sad, this was the best move, in my opinion, Joe Shane has made from a creativity standpoint. It's a high upside pick. What is in Joe Shane's best interest? It's making sure Daniel Jones is comfortable and making sure Daniel Jones has weapons. He just made sure Daniel Jones has a weapon, a very explosive tight end who could do a variety of different things for your offense with a coaching staff that will maximize it. And that's another thing too. We know Josh McDaniels and the Patriots, that they've had so many, so much success with tight ends in the past. So I don't want to besmirch his ability to maximize a tight end, but did it not seem at least Dan, and maybe the injury played into this, but did it not seem like Darren Waller in that offense just wasn't a marriage that was going to last. It always seemed like last year that Darren Waller was on the chopping block and maybe it was just people making something out of nothing. But to me, it appeared like that marriage was never a stable one. Yeah, it definitely did feel like that marriage was never quite where it needed to be. And it's funny you say marriage. According to Vic DeFore, who covers the Raiders, he said, it's odd how this trade comes 10 days after Darren, Darren Waller's wedding to Aces guard Kelsey Plum. He says the timing is only interesting because Josh McDaniels accidentally leaked news of his wedding to reporters at the NFL scouting combine. Waller was reportedly upset with McDaniels when the Las Vegas Journal uh, Review Journal posted a story about the wedding. Uh, and this couple had publicly not announced their plans to get married until that point. So... It's just a weird wrinkle, but it is kind of interesting. <laughs> oh, man. Look at us reporting on Kardashian TMZ type of stuff Big over blue here. TMZ. Big blue TMZ. I just felt, Dan, like the marriage, even before the reporting on the marriage, was just a, a weird situation where, where Darren Waller wasn't being maybe fully utilized to his full skill set, which is odd because Gronk. Aaron Hernandez, you think about all the tight ends in New England's offense through the years who had a lot of success, but he also dealt with the injury. So maybe it was that. And also, man, during the trade deadline, I believe they were going to get, I remember hearing, and I think Arch Stapleton actually just tweeted this, that he was on the trading block, or at least teams were trying to acquire him. And the Packers had a second round offer for Darren Waller and they denied it. So damn, talk about shooting yourself in the foot a little bit here because now you accept something substantially less in that same draft from the Giants, a back-end round three pick. Right. They're always reported as the round three pick. When it was when it was our pick, we called it the third round pick. But the reality is this is the 100th pick overall. It's basically a fourth round pick at that point. And you're right, the Raiders made a mistake there. But their mistake was really, really good news for the New York football Giants here. They also wanted to mention this. There's another connection between Darren Wall. We've talked about how the Giants have already on staff Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, two guys who have success working with tight ends, who maximize tight ends, who know how to work tight ends in the red zone to the best of, to the best of their ability. But they also have a connect. Darren Wall also has a connection to the, to the Giants coaching staff with Andy Bischoff because Bischoff was with Waller from 2015 to 2018 in Baltimore. I know those Baltimore years weren't great for him as he was battling drug issues that he's since obviously cleaned up and gotten completely over but it's still somebody who has worked with in the past and, and knows what makes him tick we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And that's a very important part, man. That's something that not a lot of people discuss is the importance of position coaches. It's like your family, man. You know, that's that's a very, very tight group. So the fact that Andy Bischoff has that background with them definitely played into this situation, I would imagine. Without a doubt. And I want to talk about one stat that I saw from Justin Pennick. Shout out Justin Pennick. Remember what we've discussed and not remember, I mean the one thing that plagued the Giants the most as far as scoring offensive points last year on a consistent basis, becoming a better offense than what they were, and ultimately winning football games. The run defense was probably number one, but number two was a lack of explosive passing plays. Nick, you've said this stat probably a hundred times on this podcast, and I wish you've and I'm happy you have, and I'd take another hundred because I hope that point gets hammered in. The Giants were what, 31st in the NFL in explosive pass plays. I believe it was 31st, you said, right? There was one team behind them. Was that the Jets? Wait, are you talking about last season? Last season. Last season, the Giants were dead last. Dead last. Wow, I thought they were 31st. Yeah. Okay, 32nd. Dead last in explosive pass plays. And those are plays that are defined by catches that go for 20 yards or more. Well, again, and again, credit to Justin Panic. Waller has racked up 52 explosive catches over the last four seasons. He had 22 over the last two injured seasons where he only appeared in 20 games. So 52 over four seasons, 20... The Giants don't even, I don't know even sure the Giants have 52. Did the Giants even have, how many explosive pass plays did the Giants have last year? I don't even know. They, they did not have 52. They did not the Giants, have 52. The Giants weren't just they last. Have 22. They weren't just last in explosive <laughs> passing plays. They were last in explosive plays in general. And yes. a lot of their explosive plays came via the run through Saquon Barkley or Daniel Jones. I think Daniel Jones only ended up having like two runs that were over 20 yards, regardless of the fact they were not throwing the football for 20 plus yards. That 53 number in what, since his time with Oakland? The 52 or, explosive catches were his four seasons with Oakland, yes. That's more than what the Giants did in 2022. Even the 22, he had the, tw- uh, the 22 over the last two injured seasons, just 32 games, were probably more than what the Giants had last year. I can't, I don't think the Giants had 22 pass, explosive pass plays last year, but I could be way wrong on that. Maybe we'll have Nick fact check this as I go through this. I don't have the I don't have those stats in front of me at the moment, but think about the way Greg Olson, his former offensive coordinator in 2019, and John Gruden used him, dude. Right. It was always attacking the team. It was always splitting the safeties. If you want to align in a cover two type of defense, that middle linebacker that you have better be able to carry Darren Waller up the seam because he's gone. If not, and I I've just went through his 2022 film in Josh McDaniel's office. I'm not done with it yet because this trade just went down, but I started watching. You could see he was being utilized in that manner on some of his explosive plays. So I would imagine that the Giants are going to do the same exact freaking thing. 
we're going to see the Giants attack the seam, which is something that I feel like a lot of Giant fans have criticized New York about. So we haven't seen a lot of attacking the seam. We didn't really even see it too often last year, but now you have that true weapon who could stretch the defense. You always talk about vertical stretching the defense or stretching the defense horizontally. Darren Waller can do both of that. And when you're worried about that type of explosive threat stretching your defense, it's going to open up the rushing attack. It's going to open up the underneath routes to Daniel Bellinger and 12 personnel, the underneath routes to Wandale Robinson, to Isaiah Hodgins, to whoever else you put out there at wide receiver. So, if he can stay healthy, that's all it comes down to, Dan, this could be a home run. I feel like we've gone over a decade as fans without seeing an offense that can stretch the seam. I have a, I mean, we had a little period of time with Caden Smith in 2019 where the Giants used the seam. He can't stretch it. He's not stretching it. He, used he wasn't it. even stretching it, but at least they threw the seam. Like yeah. and and to Golden Tate a little bit, they don't even they didn't even throw the seam at all last year. And for a large period at the end of Eli's career, Eli Manning, they didn't utilize the seam there either. It was one of the reasons they tried to draft Evan Ingram to try to start beating these cover two defenses, which people said Eli no longer had a solution to beat, and it didn't work out there either. And that requires a lot of trust from the quarterback and the tight end, to be honest. So this is going to be a work in progress. They have to develop that chemistry, Daniel Jones and Darren Waller. I don't think it's going to happen right away. That's too much to ask for because again, those seam throws are not often tar attempted by many quarterbacks. You have to trust your arm talent big time to throw it in between that window. And you have to trust your receiver as well. But as you just showed earlier in this, in this uh, breakdown for those watching on YouTube, two clips right away where Darren Waller was insanely easy to trust in this running the seam, right? Those balls, both of those throws were way off target. He adjusted in the air and made the catch to it. So trust this guy up the seam, attack the seam. And like you said, when you attack and stretch the seam vertically, it opens up the rest of your offense. So how are defenses going to play Darren Waller, right? Like, who are you going to put on him right. if you want to run man coverage? Because if you remember when the Giants played the Raiders in 2021 in the red zone, Patrick Graham put James Bradbury man on man, just Meg on Darren Waller. And Darren Waller wasn't just aligning out wide. It was in the slot. It was like just off the wide position. We, granted, he wasn't in line. He was He was stepped off the line of scrimmage a little bit. But that's going to be a question that defenses have to ask. And if you are able to pass at a 12, what type of personnel are you sending out there on defense? Are you going to send your base personnel? Probably not. You're probably going to send your nickel personnel, maybe your dime or dollar personnel. But Darren Waller is more athletic than a lot of linebackers in the league right now. And I understand that the linebacker position is kind of trending towards these more 225, 230 pound quicker type of linebackers. But we see some of these clips. Darren Waller is mossing these guys. He's mossing some of these safeties. So it just puts another another worry in the mind of these defensive coordinators on how the hell are you going to defend the Giants in the red zone when the Giants have had such an effective offense in 2022 with Daniel Bellinger as your number one tight end. And that's no knock on Daniel Bellinger, but Darren Waller is a completely different athlete than Daniel Bellinger. Bellinger is a good athlete, though. Bellinger will still be on the field a lot, still be a big part. They love Bellinger, and Mike Garofalo confirmed that. I mentioned that earlier, but just to mention that real quick, Bellinger had a really good relative athletic testing score, so he was also that athlete. And even something you mentioned about how, yes, the NFL is changing and moving toward different linebackers with athleticism, but just because they have athleticism on paper doesn't mean they have the lateral agility to keep up with a tight end in coverage. We've talked about this in the past, Nick, but it is a much harder job for a cornerback than a wide receiver when those guys are one-on-one. -on -one. The same is true for a linebacker versus a tight end. When you're on defense and you're moving backwards and you're moving laterally, it's a lot harder to do your job than a wide receiver or a tight end who's moving forward and attacking you 
with his feet and with his eyes and with his shakes, you know, and with, you know, the moves that he uses. So despite the NFL getting more athletic at linebacker, I still don't think we're ever going to get to a point where most of these teams or even half of these teams or even a quarter of these teams have the type of guys who can match up one-on-one against a skill set like Darren Waller when healthy. And that's what excites me the most about this trade overall, because I know Brian Dable and Mike Kafka will find situations and not just in the red zone, but yes, in the red zone where they can get Waller one-on-one against these linebackers or even a safety, or even some guy who comes down in the box, the over defender. It doesn't really matter. It's a tough cover for anyone, dude, even a corner. It's a tough cover for, right? Like if you put a corner on Darren Waller there, he's going to outmuscle him. He's going to use his body to get in position to make plays. Think about some of the most creative plays that we saw from Kafka and Dable. What was it? It was the mesh point, right? It was Daniel Jones in the shotgun, Saquon Barkley offset. Daniel Jones goes into the zone read. He reads the defender. He makes a decision. And then you have Daniel Bellinger kind of coming underneath Daniel Jones, acting as a an outlet, a little check down, if you will. But Daniel Bellinger would be in space outside with cornerbacks kind of coming down and safeties coming down. And those defenders had to make that decision. Do I attack Daniel Bellinger or do I allow Daniel Jones to rush for seven, eight, nine yards? You know, that's going to be an element of this offense now. And in 12 personnel, you could still do that same thing with Daniel Bellinger, but now you release Darren Waller on a deep seven route or up the seam on a vertical type of concept. And defenses are going to be like, crap, man, this is a half field concept that we're dealing with off of a zone read, but that's a damn difficult half read concept to deal with. A hundred percent. And that got me really excited just hearing you talk about it because the schematics of all this are so nice. Like from a schematic standpoint, I think they can do so much with Waller. A lot of this to me is going to come down to those types of plays. Will Daniel Jones realize it, see it and throw it to Waller? Or will he take a chance up the seam? Will he work? Well, you know, Bellinger might be open underneath. Will he take that like he had been in 2022 or will he take the chance to give Waller a chance to make a play up the seam where it's a tight window? He might get hit. He might be throwing it in dangerous position, but he can make the play on it. We know Waller can. So from that standpoint, I'm excited. And people might ask us, and I'm sure they have, like, what does this type of move mean for Daniel Bellinger, a player who we thought they were really high on? I don't think it impacts him all that much, Nick, because he's still the only inline tight end they have. Like Lawrence Cager is not an inline tight end. Darren Waller is not an inline tight end. He's done it a little bit. I said earlier, 43% of his career snaps in line. He can, they'll use him there sometimes, but this doesn't really impact Bellinger in that way. And also I think they can use Waller Nick on what's the most popular thing than the NFL, which is the three by one sets with the one being the tight end lining up because that helps you so much schematically from, from a schematic standpoint, they can use Waller as that one on the backside of that three by one. And it's like, now you still have Bellinger on the field for those snaps, right? He's almost like the receiver. Uh, you know, they're using 12 personnel, but it's kind of like a pseudo 11, 12 personnel with Waller and Bellinger on the field. And that gives you a one-on-one out there, but it also forces the defense. What are you going to do to defend him out there on the backside of a three-by-one set? Are you going to put a corner out there on him? Because if you put a corner out there on him, then who's guarding the three other wide receivers who are to the field side on the three-by-one three set? Is there going to be a safety or a linebacker in coverage on them, depending on your defensive personnel package? And now you have a mismatch to the play side. And you also more than likely have a one-on-one matchup to that other side. It's going to be Darren Waller against whoever the defense decides to put out there. And if Darren Waller is physically dominant over that player, say they do put like an athletic type of linebacker or a safety on Darren Waller out there, he can win those matchups. Even if it is a cornerback, a six foot cornerback, a six foot one cornerback, I mean, a big cornerback, Darren Waller can moss that guy. Yeah. So it just gives you that option on offense as well. And I love the fact that you brought up the three by one sets because I think we're going to see a little bit more of that specific formation. We saw it a little bit, but that's not necessarily Daniel Bellinger's game. That's Darren Waller's game.
Exactly. That's exactly right. And we saw it with Dawson Knox. This is what they want to do. It's what they're going to do. And even with Bellinger, there are going to be creative ways. Remember last year toward the end of the season, we saw the Giants start to use him more creatively. The Vikings game where they lined up as the H back and they had him oh, leak yeah. over the middle for that oh, catch. Fullback. Fullback. Yeah, fullback. Yeah. It was just a fullback on the play. Not even eight, right. And that's we're gonna start to see some plays where they have him as a fullback, Waller in line, or him as a fullback, Waller as a you know on the backside of that formation or lined up as a receiver in the slot. There's so many creative, unique things they can do now schematically. That's what's really most exciting. But let's talk about some of the negatives of this deal because we've shined on positive. And to me, this is an overwhelmingly positive trade for the Giants. I'd say I'm 90 to 99 percent positive about this, with a small negative being the two things. Two things for me. I'll start with one and get your take on that, which is just the injury history. That's the number one negative here. I'll go over some of the injuries he's had over the last two seasons or since the 2020 year, year of 2020, since uh, post-pandemic. Last year, he dealt with a thigh hamstring strain, a grade 2-1 in July, on July 30th. He missed a month of practice time. Remember, some people thought that part of the absence was contract-related. He eventually got that new deal. We don't know. But then he did re-aggravate that exact injury in season on October 10th. He played 10 snaps and was placed on injured reserve. Ended up playing nine games last year. Then in 2021, the year before that, he had multiple injuries as well. On August 4th, he injured himself with a pedal ankle sprain. Uh, unspecified grade one. He was sidelined for the entire 2021 preseason. Nothing that serious, but then the same injury got re-aggravated. Um, he ended up missing week seven's game, uh, week seven game against the Eagles with an ankle injury as well. Knee strain toward the end of that 2021 season uh, in a win over the Cowboys on November 25th. So ankle, knee, hamstring over the past two years. A knee strain in 2020 had him miss uh, ahead of the week three game against the Patriots. Thumb injury, thumb fracture in 2019, nothing crazy there. And then in the past, some more hamstring strains, knee pedal sprains, uh, concussion, and an AC joint sprain in 2019. But those injuries before that, I should say, the hamstring and the knee pedal sprain were late earlier in his career, like 2015. So maybe not as, uh, and, and that was kind of before his breakout, so maybe not as impactful. No, I wouldn't say those are as impactful. It's really just coming off of of an injury injury riddled season that's concerning but you're also buying low if he just went out and had right. 1500 yards and six touchdowns he wouldn't have been available for the 100th picks you got to look at it from that standpoint as well Great point. And I love the way that you looked at it there. So then I can even kind of get rid of that. I mean, I don't want to get rid of it. He's 31 years old and has somewhat of an injury history. It's nothing to just scoff at, but I kind of agree with you. It's a bit overstated anyway, because some of those injuries were re-aggravations and some of those are just like, uh, you know, they, it's not like he has a history, in my opinion, of ham. He doesn't of hamstring trains, right? If he was a guy who always has the soft tissue injuries, it's been two unlucky years, but that doesn't tell his whole story. Remember Evan Ingram earlier in his career, injured every year, injured every year, final season with the Giants, no injuries. Last season with Jaguars, no injury so injury prone is the most overstated and not in you know not scientific way to look at players in the nfl there's no one has any evidence on any of it it's just all based on recency bias and per and perception so i'm not going to put too much into that but i guess the final thing for me that i would bring up as a concern would just be that again it's just like the breed of deal yesterday nick they now traded for darren waller they have daniel bellinger I hope this doesn't take them out of the market for tight ends in this draft class if the value is there and they love a guy. And I don't think it will because I still think you can have three great tight ends on a roster and make it work. Plus, you don't know if this is a future move or just a, a you know a for now move with, with Darren Waller. But man, this is such a sick draft class. So I hope this wouldn't take them out of the tight end market. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm concerned about them being out of the tight end market. I think they'd probably be 
be a little bit more in the tight end market than the running back market if we're, we're holding like that. But I think it always comes down to the prospect. And I think Joe Shane and this front office know that. And they're not just going to be like, well, we really love this guy, but we don't need him. I think if they really yeah. like somebody, they will bring him in, especially at a position where you can employ three of them at a time realistically and a position where you have a veteran who was injured last year. So you're going to want to add another tight end that is competent and capable to pair along with Daniel Bellinger and Darren Waller. So I, I think they could be, but it's just not as, as, as big of a priority as I believed it was heading into the draft. If the giants didn't get any answer at tight end, I expected the giants to sign a tight end in free agency. I didn't expect a trade like this, but I'm pleased with it. Me too. Me too, man. All right. Anything else? Any final thoughts on the Darren Waller trade? No, I think that's good. I just, if he stays healthy, this is, this is a win. You need to, you need to get Daniel Jones explosive weapons. People who could stretch the theme. Somebody who defenses are going to fear outside of the running back that you have 26 back there. The giants did that. So stay healthy. And this is going to be a win. Massive win. If he stays healthy, in my opinion, based on everything we just went over. So that's all we have for today in the big blue banter podcast, emergency podcast, Darren Waller traded to the giants. Maybe more noobs are coming. Diana Rossini reported that this is just the start, and there there could be another big wide receiver move coming for the Giants, which would be crazy if it happens. But not all that unexpected with how aggressive Joe Shane has been to fill this roster and to help make a better team. The Giants are a much better team today than they were before the start of free agency. They have an athletic, uber-athletic young linebacker who's going to run the mic now for them and get a massive upgrade. And they have a massive upgrade in Darren Waller from the, in the red zone from a vertical passing standpoint, in addition to... R&R and everything else they've done for players they brought back, Breida, Jones, Barkley. This is a better team right now, considerably, and we haven't even gotten to the draft yet. That was not the case last offseason. It was a little better with Golinski, but only because it was so dire at guard. There was like, Jesus Christ, we need something at guard. Just get Mark Lewinsky in here. But they didn't have the flexibility, and they didn't really improve the roster before the draft last season. They did in the draft with, with Thibodeau, who's an immediate impact player. The rest were kind of injured, but well, and Bellinger. But now they've actually improved this roster immensely right away in March. And that's so exciting because we haven't even gotten to the draft yet. We have all our picks except for this 100th overall. And think about it, man. I know we brought this up on the defensive podcast. Biggest need for the Giants defense. Stop the run. R&R, Bobby Okereke. Boom. Biggest need for the Giants offense. Create explosive plays. All right, we'll go out and we'll trade for freaking Darren Waller, one of the most explosive tight ends in the National Football League. So from that standpoint, addressing your critical vulnerabilities on each side of the football, Giants won. Hell yeah. All right, guys, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.